This is Space Time, Series 26, Episode 92, for broadcast on the 2nd of August, 2023. Coming up on Space Time, spectacular evidence during congressional hearings on unidentified anomalous phenomena, discovery of diverse organic materials on Mars, and was Olympus Mons a giant Martian volcanic island? All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. Well, for years they've been dismissed as the stuff of misinformation, misidentification and conspiracy theories. But now the United States Congress has heard evidence from senior military and intelligence officials claiming that for years it's been collecting the crashed remains of unidentified flying objects and the bodies of non-humans, so-called biologics. Three witnesses have given sworn evidence to a special congressional hearing about extraterrestrial spacecraft allegedly in the possession of the U.S. military. Former U.S. military intelligence official turned whistleblower David Grouch, who served 14 years as an intelligence officer in the Air Force and National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, told House lawmakers that Congress was being kept in the dark about unidentified anomalous phenomena, what you and I would call UFOs. And Grouch isn't some disgruntled employee. He served on two Pentagon task forces investigating UFOs until earlier this year. He told Congress that for decades the U.S. military had been operating a UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program. Grouch told the House Oversight Committee's National Security Subcommittee that executive branch agencies have withheld information about the mysterious objects for years. He testified that he knew people who were injured attempting to reverse engineer recovered spacecraft. However, despite many hours of grilling, he gave no actual concrete evidence to support any of his claims, and he admitted that he personally was denied access to those programs despite repeatedly requesting it. Instead, he interviewed the officials who had direct knowledge of the spacecraft and the so-called biologics recovered from them. He then accused the military of misappropriating funds to shield these operations as black ops from congressional oversight. The Pentagon had previously denied Grouch's claims, but the issue gained widespread attention from Congress and the public a few years ago following the release of cockpit footage showing several incidents involving encounters between U.S. Navy F-18 Hornets and UAPs, typically showing nondescript objects moving through the air at high speeds with no apparent method of propulsion. Most have been attributed to either balloons or optical artefacts with a camera equipment. As well as Grouch, the panel also heard testimony from two former U.S. Navy fighter pilots, Ryan Graves, who has spoken about encountering UAPs on training missions, and David Fravor, who spotted a large object and captured the now infamous Tic Tac video during a flight off the coast of California in 2004. Graves was an F-A-18 fighter pilot stationed at Virginia Beach in 2014 when his squadron first began detecting unknown objects described as dark grey or black cubes inside clear spheres, where the apex or tip of the cubes was touching the inside of the sphere. 
He says a fellow pilot told him about one incident about 10 miles off the coast, in which an object between 5 and 15 feet in diameter flew between two FA-18s and came within 50 feet of the aircraft. Graves says that if these UAPs are foreign military drones, it's an urgent national security problem. He says if there's something else, then it's an issue for science. In either case, he says unidentified objects are a concern for flight safety and the American people deserve to know what's happening. Meanwhile, Freber recounted his 2004 encounter with an object off the California coast, telling lawmakers that he and his wingman spotted the smooth, seamless oval-shaped object hovering just over the water before it suddenly rapidly climbed about 12,000 feet in the air and then accelerated away and disappeared. He says it was then detected 100 kilometres away less than a minute later. In 2017, the New York Times released a report detailing evidence of a secret Pentagon program that tracked and studied UAP reports. Then in 2020, the Pentagon itself released three grainy videos of those UAPs. And in May this year, NASA hosted a public hearing about UAPs, explaining to the public how it would investigate reports in the future. Now, the thing to remember about these congressional hearings is that if any of the three witnesses lied or gave false evidence, they could be charged with perjury, spending years in prison. So what does all this mean? Well, either these three witnesses are all delusional or liars, or they're telling the truth. And both options are frightening. Here's some of the congressional testimony. Ms. Mays. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and good morning to our witnesses who are testifying today. I want to thank each of you for being here to discuss a topic of grave importance to our national security. Earlier this year, a Chinese spy balloon was shot down off the coast of my home state of South Carolina. Since the Roswell incident in 1947, Many Americans have wondered about the dangers of unknown objects crisscrossing our skies. Whether these are UAPs or weather phenomena, advanced technology from American allied or enemy forces or something more out of this world. So my first question, I have several questions and I'll, I, if we can just be quick on these first two, I'm going to ask each of you the same question um, and then I'll get to each of you individually. Uh, the first one, when you reported your experiences with a UAP, did any of you face any repercussions with your superiors, yes or no? No. No. I've actually never seen anything personally, <laughs> believe it or not. So. All right. Um, and then do, do you believe there's an active disinformation campaign within our government to deny existence of UAPs, yes or no? I don't have an answer to that. As previ previously stated publicly, yes. I think previously with like Project Blue Book, yes, but currently I don't speak for the United States government. Okay, thank you. Um, I have a few questions for Mr. Graves. Um, what percentage of UAP sightings in your belief go unreported by our pilots? This is an approximation based off of my personal experience speaking with a number of pilots, but uh, I would estimate we're somewhere near 5% reporting perhaps. So like 95% basically don't report seeing UAPs. That's just my personal estimate. Um, in the incident off Virginia Beach, do you believe the Navy took the danger to your aircraft seriously after it was reported? Absolutely. Um, a few questions for Mr. Favor. As an expert naval aviator, have you ever seen an object that looked and moved like the Tic Tac UAP? No. Did the Tic Tac UAP move in such a way that defied the laws of physics? The way we understand them, yes. Many dismiss UAP reports as classified weapons testing by our own government, but in your experience as a pilot, does our government typically test advanced weapon systems right next to multi-million dollar jets without informing our pilots? No, we have test ranges for that. 
It took over 15 years for your encounter with the Tic Tac to be declassified. Do you feel there was a good reason to prevent lawmakers from having access to this footage? No, I just think it was ignored when it happened and it just sat somewhere in a file. Never got reported. In a drawer. It happens a lot up here. <laughs> Shocker. Um, Mr. Gresh, a couple of questions for you too, sir, this morning. Um, what percentage of UAPs do you feel are adequately investigated by the U.S. government? Of the 5% that are reported. <laughs> um, I can only speak for uh, my personal leadership over at NGA. I tried to look at every report that came through that I could mm -hmm. triage. So. Do you believe that officials at the highest levels of our national security apparatus have unlawfully withheld information from Congress and subverted uh, our oversight authority? There are certain elected leaders that had more information that I'm not sure what they've shared with certain Gang of Eight members or et cetera, but uh, certainly uh, I would not be surprised. Okay. You've stated that the government is in possession of potentially non-human spacecraft. Based on your experience and extensive conversations with experts, do you believe our government has made contact with intelligent extraterrestrials? Something I can't discuss in public setting. Um, okay, I can't ask when you think this occurred. <laughs> um, if you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries, yeah. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. And was this documentary evidence, this video, photos, eyewitness, like how would that be determined? The specific documentation I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and, and you may or may not be able to answer my last question, and maybe we get into a skiff at the next hearing that we have, but who in the government either, what agency, sub-agency, what contractors, who should be called into the next hearing about UAPs, either in a public setting or even in a private setting? And, and you probably can't name names, but what agencies or organizations, contractors, et cetera, do we need to call in to get these questions answered, whether it's about funding, what programs are happening, and what's out there? I can give you a specific cooperative and hostile witness list of specific individuals uh, that were in those. And, and how soon can we get that list? I'm happy to provide that to you after the hearing. Super. Thank you. And I yield back. Time to Ms. Luna. Mr. Grush, uh, in speaking to you yesterday, um, I just wanted to follow up on Representative Raskin's questions. In the last couple of years, have you had incidences that have caused you to be in fear for your life? for addressing these issues. Yes, personally. Okay. Yeah. I just want everyone to note that he's coming forward in fear of his life to put in perspective if they were really not scared about this information coming out, why would someone be intimidated like that? Um, to your knowledge, are NHIs working with adversarial foreign governments in either technology exchange programs or back engineering programs? I don't have data on that, I'm not sure. Have you heard or you had people come forward to present that evidence? Not that particular evidence that you just espoused. Okay. On the 19th of April, Dr. Kirkpatrick, head of Arrow, had said that he did not find any evidence of UAPs. You also stated that you had, um, in your interview, that you had briefed him on information that you were uncovering, but that he did not follow up with you. Were the items that you divulged to him pertinent to national security? Yes. Uh, him and I had a classified conversation in April 2022 before he took over Arrow in uh, July two, uh, 2022, and I provided him some concerns I had. 
Do you know why he might not have fallen up with you? Uh, I'm, I, unfortunately, I cannot read his mind. Um, I wish he did. Uh, I, was I was happy to give sage counsel to him on uh, where to look when he took the, the helm of arrow. Okay, and then my last question for you before I move to Mr. Graves is um, you received prior approval from the Defense Department to speak on certain issues, correct? Correct, through uh, DOPSER, DOD Pre-Publication and Security Review, and I uh, just want to remind uh, the public, uh, they're just looking from a security perspective. Uh, these are my own personal views and opinions, uh, not the department's. Okay, I'm, I'm asking that though, mainly because I think that there are many people that would like to discredit you so mm -hmm. it does bring a certain amount of credibility to your testimony. Uh, I'm required by law to do that as a former intelligence officer or I go to jail for revealing well, classified information. Yeah, we don't want you to yeah. go to jail. <laughs> um, my next question would actually be for Mr. Graves. Um, can you please explain to me in detail the event that occurred at Vandenberg Air Force Base? Certainly. Uh, in the 2003 timeframe, uh, a large group of Boeing contractors were operating near one of the launch facilities at Vandenberg Air Force Base when they observed a very large 100-yard-sided uh, red square uh, approach the base from the ocean and hover at low altitude over one of the launch facilities. Um, this object remained for about 45 seconds or so before darting off over the mountains. Um, there was a similar event within 24 hours later in the evening. Uh, this was a morning event. Uh, I believe 8.45 in the morning. Later in the evening, post-sunset, uh, there were uh, reports of other sightings on base, uh, including some aggressive behaviors. Uh, these objects were approaching some of the security guards at rapid speeds uh, before darting off. Uh, and this is information that was received through one of the uh, witnesses that have approached me at Americans for Safe Aerospace. Was this documented in any official form, whether it was a police blotter? Yes, they had uh, official documentation and records from the event that the witness uh, held over the years. And I'm not going to ask you to do it right now for time reasons, but you'd be able to sketch what was witness, correct? And you've, have you seen that before on any other equipment and or during your flight time? I have not seen what they've described. Um, this object was uh, estimated to be almost the size of a football field, um, and I have not seen anything personally that large. Okay, and then um, another question on follow-up, referencing the gimbal video go fast incident. Um, can you just clarify, because to our understanding, the footage was actually cut off at a certain point, but what happens at the end of that video, just for those Americans specifically there that are wanting to know about the rest of that footage? Certainly. Uh, there was some uncertainty or um, you know, instability with the object. It, it seemed to rock a bit, uh, and that's the last... Uh, last I had seen of the video. Much of the data that I would recommend be analyzed would consist of radar data uh, that would pr provide precise kinematics on the object as well as the fleet of objects that were operating nearby. Okay, and follow-up, uh, in regards to the reporting procedures that Mr. Garcia had addressed on as well as uh, Representative Bur Burchett, with the FAA, to your understanding, pilots that are seeing this, commercial airline pilots, are they receiving um, cease and desist letters from corporations for coming forward with information in regards to safety for potential air, airline passengers. I have been made privy to uh, conversations with commercial uh, aviators who have received cease and desist orders. So the American public should know that corporations are putting their own reputations on the basic, not the line, but ahead of the safety of the American people. And I think, would you agree with that statement? It appears so. Okay. Um, and I guess this would be my last, oh, I'm out of time. I yield. I'll be back. This is space time. Still to come, evidence of diverse organic material on Mars, and was Olympus Mons, the giant Martian volcano, actually a volcanic island? All that and more still to come on Space Time.
A new study has detected a diverse range of organic molecules on the Martian surface. The data was collected by NASA's Mars Perseverance rover, which has been exploring the Jezero crater region of the Red Planet since its arrival there in February 2021. The new findings reported in the journal Nature are consistent with organic molecules on the Martian surface hinting towards past habitability of the Red Planet. The study's lead author, Amy Williams, from the University of Florida, says scientists have long been fueled by the possibility of finding organic carbon on Mars. And while previous missions provided valuable insights, the latest research introduces a new line of evidence that adds to science's understanding of the Red Planet. The findings indicate the presence of a more intricate organic geochemical cycle on Mars than previously understood. That suggests the existence of several distinct reservoirs of potential organic compounds. Notably, the study detected signals consistent with molecules linked to aqueous processes, indicating that water may have played a key role in the diverse range of organic matter on Mars. It shows the key building blocks necessary for life have persisted on Mars for a far more extended period of time than previously thought. Williams, an astrobiologist and expert in organic geochemistry, has been at the forefront of the search for life's building blocks on the Red Planet. As a participating scientist in the Perseverance mission, Williams' work centres on the quest for organic matter on Mars. She aims to detect habitable environments, search for potential life materials, and uncover evidence of past life if it ever existed on Mars. Eventually, the on-site materials and samples collected by Perseverance will be sent back to Earth by a future sample return mission. But that'll be a complex and ambitious process spanning many years. The potential detection of several organic carbon species on Mars has implications for understanding the red planet's carbon cycle and the potential of the planet to host life throughout its history. Organic matter can be formed from various processes, not just those related to life. Geological processes and chemical reactions can also form organic molecules, and it's these processes that are favoured right now for the origin of these possible Martian organics. Until now, organic carbon's only ever been detected by the Mars Phoenix lander and the Mars Curiosity rover, Perseverance's twin, which is exploring Gale Crater. They used advanced techniques like evolved gas analysis and gas chromatography mass spectrometry. But this new study introduces a different technique that's also identified potential simple organic compounds on Mars. An important part of Perseverance's mission was its chosen landing site, the rover's landed in Jezero Crater and is now exploring a river delta where sediments from further upstream flowed into the crater. As an ancient lake basin, it contains an array of materials, including carbonates, clays and sulfates. And these minerals have the potential to preserve organic materials and any possible signs of ancient life that may be there. Williams says her team didn't initially expect to detect these potential organic signatures in Jezero Crater. But their diversity and distribution in different units of the crater floor now suggest potentially different fates of carbon across these environments. The authors used a first-of-its-kind instrument called the Scanning Habitable Environments with Raman Luminescence for Organics and Chemicals, or SHERLOCK, to map the distribution of organic molecules and minerals on rock surfaces. Sherlock employs deep ultraviolet Raman and fluorescent spectroscopy to simultaneously measure weak Raman scattering and strong fluorescent emissions, providing crucial insights into the organic composition of Mars. 
The findings mark a significant step forward in science's exploration of the Red Planet, laying the groundwork for future investigations into the possibility of life beyond Earth. This is space-time. Still to come... New research suggests that the solar system's largest volcano, Olympus Mons, on the red planet Mars, may once have been a volcanic island in a Martian ocean. And later in the science report, growing warnings that ancient pathogens trapped for millennia in ice are now beginning to emerge. All that and more still to come on Space Time. New research suggests the solar system's largest volcano, the Martian giant Olympus Mons, was once a volcanic island in a Martian ocean. A report of the journal Earth and Planetary Science Letters suggests the 20,000-metre-high shield volcano shares morphological similarities with many active volcanic islands on Earth. Scientists believe these are the result of contact between liquid water and lava from the volcano. Similar features seen on the northern flank of the Albemons volcano, located more than 1,500 kilometres from Olympus Mons, also support the idea of a vast ocean of liquid water once occupying much of the red planet's northern lowlands. The island of Olympus Mons itself would have been huge, about the size of France. Landscapes that look like bays, seashores and even ancient beaches surround the Martian northern lowlands, adding further evidence to the idea of a vast Martian ocean having once covered much of the red planet's northern hemisphere, back at a time when Mars was still a warm, wet world, rather than the freeze-dried desert it's become today. Scientists say precise dating of these volcanic rocks would provide a considerable amount of information about the climatic evolution of the Red Planet. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with the Science Report. There are growing warnings today that ancient pathogens, which have been trapped for millennia, are now emerging from melting ice and permafrost due to the effects of climate change. A new global study by the European Commission Joint Research Centre in Flinders University has been examining the ecological risk posed by the release of these unpredictable ancient microbes. A report in the journal PLOS Computational Biology claims computer simulations show the release of just 1% of dormant pathogens could cause major environmental damage and widespread loss of organisms around the world. Archaeologists in Israel have discovered another 2,000-year-old rebel Jewish coin dating back to the anti-Roman revolts. The rare half-shekel coin, inscribed with the words the Holy Jerusalem in Hebrew, was dug up in the Angadi Nature Reserve in the Judean Desert. The coin is dated to the year 6667, when the Roman Empire destroyed the second Jewish temple on the site of Temple Mount in Jerusalem. 
continued rebellion against Rome over the following 200 years, known as the Jewish-Roman Wars, eventually led to Rome killing most of the Jews through a program of systematic ethnic cleansing, with a few remaining survivors either displaced or sold into slavery and or dispersed to the far reaches of the Roman Empire, what today is known as the Jewish Diaspora. With most of the land's traditional Jewish owners either dead or banished by Rome, the provinces of Israel and Judea were renamed Syria-Palestina, or Roman Palestine, the first ever time that name was used to identify the traditional Jewish homeland. A new study has challenged the hypothesis that Scottish folklore's infamous Loch Ness Monster is a species of giant eel. The latest findings, reported in the journal Jumerex Bio, challenges the popular theory using previous estimates of the monster's size to predict the probability of encountering a large eel of similar size today. Instead, the study found that giant eels simply could not account for sightings of larger animals in the freshwater Scottish Highlands Lake, which is connected to the North Sea by a narrow channel. Based on eel catch data from Loch Ness and other freshwater bodies in Europe, scientists found the chances of encountering a metre-long eel in Loch Ness is somewhere around 50,000 to 1, and the probability of finding an even larger Loch Ness monster-sized eel tens of metres long is virtually zero. A previous Loch Ness environmental DNA study by the University of Otago found no evidence for any exotic life forms in the loch, at least none which could explain the mythical creature often thought to be a remnant community of plesiosaurs from the age of the dinosaur. The environmental DNA study also ruled out sturgeons, sharks, otters and seals, instead suggesting that large eels provided the most likely explanation. Samsung's had a busy week unveiling its next-generation devices with folding screens. The release includes the popular Z Flip phone and new water-resistant tablets and smartwatches. With the details, we're joined by technology editor Alex Saharov-Royt from TechAdvice.life. Samsung has launched a range of new devices. We have the Galaxy Z Flip 5, which is their flip phone. It now has a 3.4-inch screen on the front, as well as a 6.7-inch screen inside. Now, the crease is meant to be a little bit less noticeable, but it's still there, and the front screen, you can actually swipe it left and right and up and down. It's got various additions to be able to text people, to accept calls, to look at photographs, to use it as a selfie camera. And uh, you have a lot of little refinements and uh, still using One UI 5.1.1. So many of the experiences that people are used to are the same, but you now have this newer foldable where both sides of the phone fold flat against each other, even though it seems to still be a hinge inside where it's obviously not folding completely flat because... Well, Glass can't do that. And, of course, it's using the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 processor made for Samsung Galaxy. You have uh, 256 gig and 512 gig versions with 8 gig of RAM. Then you have the Fold 5, which has a 6.2, not as wide screen on the outside, and a 7.6-inch larger screen on the inside. Again, teardropped shaped hinge, double rail on the hinge. The sides fold down flat next to each other. So, you know, there's a tiny imperceptible gap. It's not, it's not as big as the gap we had before. Same processor. You've got 12 gigabyte versions. They come in 256, 512, and 1 terabyte. A slimmer pen, more 
gestures for multitasking, more ways to make multitasking work. You also have some new Galaxy Watch 6 devices. You've got the Galaxy Watch 6 and the 6 Classic. Then you have three tablets, the S, the S9 Plus, and the S9 Ultra in various sizes. So those represent the latest devices from Samsung, the ecosystem of Samsung devices, the latest version of Android and the way that uh, Samsung's multitasking works. And you do have a lot of competitors from Oppo, Motorola, even Google now has the Google Fold, uh, which is uh, similar to the Samsung Fold, but it doesn't use a stylus. So there's competition out there, but the world's best foldable devices and the most advanced are still coming from Samsung. And we just have to imagine that uh, Apple, for example, is waiting to see how all of this plays out so that when it comes along with its version of a foldable and flippable device, it will be able to learn from all the uh, experiences of all these previous models. So look, you can see all these details on my website. Global availability should be August 18. So a little bit of a while to go. The pre-order offers are available now. That's Alex Saharov-Royd from techadvice.life. And that's the show for now. Spacetime is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Spacetime's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimeWithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 